is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For part two with Michael McElroy, we continue the conversation of resilience and everything that that means to him. There's some fantastic takeaways. So I hope you enjoy part two with Michael McElroy. Was there an aha moment for you with that hurt mm -hmm. thought and, and letting it go like a full like self-actualization moment, so to speak, for you mm -hmm. in time where yeah. you were just, it's okay to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it was our first concert because we really didn't know what we had, yeah. right? Just it was like Alice Ripley, Billy Porter, Adrian Lennox, Rick Ryder. They were just eleven friends, and we, you know, prepared this evening, and then invitations and posters went out, and I'd say about, say around five to six hundred people showed up at this church on the Upper West Side, okay. and. The response was so, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect, but I could feel the energy from the audience mm. of people feeling like they were being connected with, like they were being touched, they were being healed, that they were being accepted for who they were. And that's when I went, ah, there's something here. Yeah. And so from 94 to 99, it just became an annual concert for Broadway Cares yeah. and growing in size. And then in, like 2000, we became an LLC, and then in 2007, we became a um, not-for-profit because we wanted to have outreach programs. So just always expanding the vision based on the need. Absolutely beautiful. I love it when you can feel that in a room, you know, the energy shifts with everyone mm -hmm. together as mm -hmm. a community. I absolutely mm -hmm. love that. What do you find one of or your greatest value asset to be as an educator? and a teacher. Mm. Wow. It's interesting. Um, as I said, I grew up with a teacher. My mother was a teacher at the same elementary school for over 35 years. Yeah. And what I watched when I go visit her at school, I watched how she was incredibly strict and tough with her students, but you never doubted for a moment that she cared. And that was something that stuck with me, that as long as your students know you are invested in them, mm. you can be tough with them, right? Yeah. Um, and so that sense of tough love uh, is something that I am very, um, very aware of how I want my students to come into the space and them knowing that I'm gonna give them 150% in return. Um, I think another aspect of my work is that I, I do, get a sense of my students and this intuitive sense of what they need yeah. and assigning material that speaks to that exact thing. So, you know, the empathy, the tough love, um, I think those are the two big ones. It comes with trust. I mean, you really mm -hmm. have to have that trust with the students to, mm -hmm. right, <laughs> to go right. that extra, you know, mile. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely beautiful. I, um, yeah. I want to talk about just the, the future of theater and what we see happening, which is absolutely fantastic. And it feels mm -hmm. like the needle is truly moving in a, a right. different way. That's correct. And mm -hmm. I'm curious, what are mm -hmm. your thoughts, views, feelings on this future? That's a great question. Um, I think that this pandemic and shutting down the theater, though it was really hard and awful for people to lose work, um, and the sickness that we saw, 
I think for the community, it helped to put a light on spaces that may not have been able to be seen if we had been still in full motion. And I think what it revealed was that is open and accepting of all people and loving and, you know, as the theater industry is or claims to be, there are major issues that were laid bare in that moment. The, the issues of um, who's telling what stories, how are those stories being told, who's in the back rooms and the creative rooms making the decision and how and where does diversity uh, of thought, of creativity, of experience fit into those rooms. And we found um, quite honestly that there wasn't much diversity in those rooms. And, um, and I have to say the work that I've been involved in with Black Theatre United and that I see Muse, uh, Musicians United for Social Equity and many other organizations doing in this moment is to say, this is what we see here are the numbers, the numbers don't lie. <laughs> now, what are we going to do about it? And so I think in this it's time that I've seen a lot more people from producers to theater owners, to casting directors, to um, directors, choreographers, willing to sit down at the table and say, we see it. Now, what are the structures we can put into place to um, bring more diversity? Mm. In addition, as we're hiring more people, how can we make these spaces where that they're stepping into feel more inclusive. What are we doing? You know, and so really working to not only look honestly at the problem, but then also to put steps into place uh, for structures to support, but then also mechanisms for accountability. Let's look, we're gonna look back at this six months from now. We're gonna see, and then we're gonna look again next year, right? So that we're really being held accountable to doing the work. So that we don't once we go back to being in full full run again, that we just slip right back into the same uh, ways of being, you know, and I'm excited. I mean, there's so many, so many plays and shows by people of color that are coming to Broadway this season. Yeah. And what, whereas I think that's wonderful. I'm not as, I want to celebrate that, but I'm more interested in who's in the offices, who is, who are the, in the producer, producer, production offices, the, the general offices, the company manager offices, the theater offices that are making those decisions. And they're the spaces that I want to see more diversity, right? Uh, because you can put as many shows on as you want, but if the same people are making the decisions, just, it's just gonna go in phase, phases, right? Mm -hmm. It's gonna phase of all eyes are on us. And I see a lot of that, all eyes are on us, so let's make sure we get some diversity out there. But are we doing the work to make sure that these people can thrive in those spaces? And what is our long-term plan to inform in terms of diversity and inclusion within our, our you know, areas of expertise? Yes, because you don't want next season <laughs> to look like nothing's, yeah. you know. Oh, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> we did it. Y'all see what we did last year? We're done. Are there resources, and I don't mean to put you on the spot at all, but are there, because, and I, it really, it's a question for myself, resources for people to discover the diversity in the production offices and the general managing, because you're absolutely right. What you talk about, that's that, that's it. And I'm curious, you know, even for myself, what are those resources to to ask those questions in the right spaces. I had a conversation mm -hmm. here with Hunter Arnold the other day, and he had a fantastic mm -hmm. conversation about being that change, you know, because mm -hmm. if the yes men and women 
aren't, you know, changing and more diverse, like you said, it'll just kind of go back into the same right. slip. So, yeah. Well, I think that it's, it's incumbent upon all of us to do our work Amen. and our work is different based on who we are yeah. and how we have benefited from or not from the systems that are in place. Yes. Right. So um, right now, BTU is working on this initiative with equity, diversity, inclusion, yeah. accessibility and belonging and wanting it to become a standard across all parts of our industry, yes. right? That that training and that that work is happening you know, at the beginning of every show and that there's someone we can go to, there's a diversity officer, yes. all of those things. So it takes on the same level of institutional support, legal support that we have around harassment and all those other things that we do now that are mandatory. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it still is singular. So if you are a person who has been a person of privilege or a person who has benefited from the systems and you're cast in the show, what is your responsibility in that moment to ask what questions? Because there's certain questions that some people can ask in certain ways that are not gonna be taken the same way as someone else. So you, for example, asking, what is our process around equity, diversity, inclusion, and training that we'll receive on the first day of rehearsal? How is that being handled? How, you know, asking those questions um, we need our allies or accomplices to be doing the reading, doing the work, and being that voice in the space when there's only one or two of us, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so the work for everybody is very different, yeah. but it has to be done. Amen. Thank you for saying that. Yes, that's exactly, yes, that's exactly it. I, speaking of which, is there any plugs or things you want to add in at this moment that you're looking towards in the future, mm. events, opportunities? Uh, anything coming up that really uh, excites you? <laughs> well, um, I just finished, uh, I stepped down from BIV on June 30th yeah. after 27 years, which was great. Have a wonderful uh, new artistic director coming in. And I leave next month to start my new job. I'm leaving and moving to Michigan. I'm going to be taking over as chair of the musical theater program at the University of Michigan. So I start that in, uh, in August and see what that opportunity, you know, it's, it, I always think of it as, what, what do I have to learn? <laughs> There's something that this experience is gonna teach me, not just what I can teach and give to the students, but what are they gonna teach me about who I am as an artist, who I am as a human being, all of those things. Yeah. And where am I gonna be challenging them? Where am I gonna be listening? Where am I gonna be? you know, compromising all of those things that I think, while still having a vision in my head of what I think it could be. Yeah. You know, but I'm excited to get to Ann Arbor and see what happens. Has that transition been um, jarring or does it feel like a very natural progression of life path? You know, I always feel like um, the my journey like your journey, like anybody's journey is, is incredibly unique. Right. And that um, because I'm a spiritual person um, and that I believe in something greater than myself, I always know when these situations come along, if it's meant for me, it's gonna happen. And that means that I can freak out and doubt can come in and say, but I don't know, da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. but I always go back to, I know that this was put in my path as a part of my journey, then I have everything I need and what I don't have, I need to ask for, right? Um, and so mm. this feels like the next level of how I am engaging the academic space, mm. the um, artistic training space, uh, 
And so there are lots of things I do not know that I'm trying very hard to learn right now and things I learned along the way. But I do feel that this is the next step for me. That's incredibly exciting. And I can see it and feel it. And that's just, oh, it's so nice to feel someone so connected to their, their journey. Are there um, changes? Not easy. <laughs> Do you journal? Do you ask a lot of questions within yourself on the daily? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lots of- and I read a lot. Okay. Yeah. Any books so. that, you, um, that stand out in your mind right now that you're uh, appreciating? I'm reading My Body is Not a Biology. I'm reading We Will Not Cancel Us. Um, what else am I reading? I like I read like five or six books at a time. Um, I'm reading a book on power structures, um, and I have those in my room. I can go get them. Uh, but those are the three that I'm reading right now. Do you? Is it a mix of like a actual copy or like a Kindle or audiobook, or is it all one form? I think you can get them either on Kindle, but I just ordered them on Amazon. You do? Yeah. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. Um, as we, as we wrap up here, are there any changes you've made that have increased positivity and decreased negativity in your life? For me personally or in the world in which I engage? Personally, no, for you personally, maybe even recently during the pandemic. <laughs> About positive? Mm. During the pandemic, oh. Yeah, that was really a time for a lot of self-reflection, as I said. Right. It was a time where I grappled with, what am I doing? Mm. How important is what I do as an artist when it doesn't matter how many shows I do or how many you know promotions I get in this academic institution, when I leave the stage door, when I leave this institution, I'm still considered some like George Floyd. That's that's me. Mm-hmm. And so it really made me question if what I'm doing is of any importance at all or how to do it. Mm-hmm. And so what I did in that moment was turn to the history turn to the ancestors in a way to give me clues of understanding or at least give me strength to navigate this moment of question, this this moment of doubt. Um, And what I found is the more I leaned into looking at all those examples over time of people who looked like me, who uh, came generations before me, who have dealt with things that to me would have been insurmountable and created great art. I always talk about um, uh, Duke Ellington is one of the examples I use in my research about the Harlem Renaissance. Mm-hmm. And Duke Ellington, he, he was the house band at the Cotton Club, I mean, which is just so mind boggling, the house band. And he was innovating and creating jazz in a way that now is looked at internationally yeah. as something of the greatest of, of such excellence that people marvel at what he was doing. And yet he did it in a place where he couldn't even be a patron. He was not allowed to be a patron in that space because he was black. The theme of the, the core was plantation theme. And on the radio, if you listen to any of the radio um, performances of the Cotton Club, and you can find them online, the way his music was referred to by the host was jungle music. So. To me, in that moment, it's like, here you are with all these things that are telling you in every direction that you are less than, mm. that you're not human, that you don't matter, um, and that you belong in a certain place, and that you're not welcome in this place. And you are in that same moment creating an art form that now is known the world over of such beauty and complexity and, and excellence, right? And so looking at that and going, okay, how did he do that? 
with these kinds of obstacles. So if he could do it, what is it I can learn from that that can empower me in this moment to do the same thing? And that became the way in which I began teaching my classes, right? Looking at history, we are not, we are not taught our true history in this country. Um, and no. getting students to look at things and wake up and go, oh my gosh, that happened? Why did I never learn that? That person created that form of music? I thought it was this person. That person sang that song first? No, this person did. You know, getting them to understand that in history, connected to the art, there is information that we all need to empower us to be able to dismantle this, this present that we find ourselves in. I find myself having to question the history books more and oh, more God. in everything. I mean, it's like, mm-hmm. it's an obvious thing now, but growing up, I mean, I remember when I got to college, I was like, what? Thanksgiving yeah. is not what <laughs> they said it was. And it's, you know, my own ignorance right. then, but I'm just like, you have to question it. You have to. And it's yes. almost like that quintessential phrase. You have to be the change, but you do. Mm-hmm. And that's action. Yeah. And we, me have, we have to all take that action to make a change. Exactly. So just... Exactly. My friend says Google is free. So, <laughs> you know, start, start, the minute you start to research things and look at things, you start to go, wait, that wasn't what I was taught yeah. or I didn't know that, you know, and it starts to make you have to question, you know, all of those things, the community. No one taught me that here, but I'm seeing this as a fact. So I have to kind of figure out where that fits while not holding the community in a place of negativity, just going, they did what they thought was right or they did what they knew, but I have the opportunity to crack open in a different way. Right. So we know better so we can do better. And it's Mm. just, it's absolutely, um, it's beautiful. This conversation, thank you. I, uh, mm, as you. we wrap up here, um, and you might have answered this question already, we'll see. Metaphorically speaking, if you could put a word or a phrase on a billboard for millions of people to see, does anything come to mind? Hmm. Resilience. The idea of resilience. Resilience for me in this moment, especially as I'm thinking about artistic training and we're in a really interesting space where people are hyper aware of trauma and triggering and all of these things that we should be aware of, but the artistic space is a space of discomfort, it's a space of challenge, it's a place of transformation, it's a place of struggle. Mm. Because if you're learning how to navigate that difficulty in your mind, your heart, your technique, your craft, then when you leave here, you have a different type of resilience. You know that every situation is not going to necessarily go your way or be easy, but you know how to, you know, to, to kind of ride the wave of that. Mm. And so if we're not instilling in our artistic programs, the challenge, the struggle, the discomfort, then we're, we're not preparing these future artists to really understand how to engage a life, the life of an artist. Um, and so resilience to me can only be achieved by having gone through something, you know, as my friend says, the valley of preparation, without those valleys of preparation, then when you get to the mountaintop, it doesn't mean anything, right? It's those valleys that are preparing you, transforming you, mm-hmm. so that when you get to that mountaintop, you have an understanding of that moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the valleys of preparation. I love that. 
mm-hmm. and resilience. Michael, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you. Of course, anytime. <laughs> One and all, Michael McElroy. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. Thank you.